What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello everybody and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host Marcus Lehner and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, are you ready to fight with robots for the second week in a row? Again? Again. Again? Oh, but we're up at <laughs> we're up in the stakes here. These ain't your daddy's robots. These are your robots' daddies. This is our giant robot fight. <laughs> Did you just come up with that, or were you playing that this entire time? That <laughs> was off the cuff, thank you. <laughs> so last week, we did a robot fight with, like, people-sized robots, like your C-3PO's of the world. We did not fight C-3PO. <laughs> Why did you name a robot? We used three robots. Why didn't you use one of the ones we actually did? So that I wouldn't show favoritism. C-3PO would be a pretty awful fighter. He would not be good. It's why we didn't pick him. He would have qualified, though. He would have qualified. You considered R2-D2, but we digress. I did. I thought he had more gadgets, but, like, the one trick he pulls with the oil slick in episode two is, like, the only thing he ever does that's, like, a new fighting ability. So I'm like, R2, you're cool, and you probably would win the fight, but it would re- require, like, slapstick comedy, and it wouldn't work out in the in the episode. It's basically just the oil slick and, like, a little cattle prod, right? That's kind of that's kind of it. He's got a buzzsaw, but like... Oh, it's a very small buzzsaw. Yeah, alright. Anyway. Yeah, he wasn't doing it. These robots, though, these robots gonna do it. These are giant robots that we're doing with, like, in the... I, don't, I forget how tall your robot is, but like 300 to 400 foot-ish range. The skyscraper range. Yeah. So, if anyone who hasn't listened to a fight episode of ours before, basically what we're... The way we do it is we have each selected a fighter... We are going to give a quick little overview of our of the robot that we've picked to fight and a little list of their abilities, a little backstory, yada, yada, yada. And then we are going to do a hypothetical fight. We're going to talk about who would win under what scenarios, and we're going to kind of come up with, like, chances to win in those scenarios. I'm going to do a bit of math at the end to put a overall chance to win to each of our robot fighters. And then we spin the wheel of final determination to find out which giant robot actually wins the fight. I was wondering if you were going to remember the name you gave the wheel last week, and you did. Uh, I did definitely spend a good 10 minutes trying to remember what it was until I did. (laughs) (laughs) But it is canon now, and that is what it is called. As always, and fittingly for giant robots, we're going to be fighting in Central Park as our battlegrounds, which is perfect for big robots. They're always fighting in big cities. Oftentimes Tokyo, but... We might end up veering out of Central Park, but... We can start there. Yeah, well, Central Park's actually decently big. We could we could all be there and, and, and throw some punches in Central Park. It's a, it's a few city blocks. Anyway, we'll, get, we'll find out, I guess. And I'm going to go and get us started with our first fighter in this corner, standing at 390 feet and weighing 165,000 tons. We have Mecha Godzilla. As the name implies, Mecha Godzilla is the mechanical version of regular Godzilla. For those of unfamiliar with regular Godzilla, he's a giant nuclear prehistoric sea lizard monster that swings wildly between murdering everyone and being only moderately murderless while trying to stop other giant monsters from murdering everyone. He represents nuclear war. Yay! <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of allegories about why he got popular and what he represents and all that. Um, those are less fun to talk about. Does Mechagodzilla, is he an allegory for anything? <laughs> mechanical war. Yay! He's a mechanical version of an, of an, <laughs> of an allegory. <laughs> But just a bonus fun Godzilla fact, the Japanese name for Godzilla, uh, Gojira, um, is a combination of the words Gorira and Kujira, which mean gorilla and whale, respectively, because during planning before he took shape, that was the physical description of kind of what Godzilla would look like, is a whale gorilla, which I thought was awesome. And since we just kind of butchered the pronunciation and respelled it, I've taken the liberty of doing the same exercise in English about what Godzilla would, his real name would be if we just took whale and gorilla and matched them up. I did a couple attempts here, just for fun. If you take Will and Gorilla straight up, um, you have like a Whoa-Rilla, which just sounds like, whoa, whoa big Rilla. gorilla. <laughs> and when you spell it, it sounds like you'd pronounce it Horrilla, which would be a really different movie. <laughs> but I didn't give up. If you take Beluga and Gorilla, 
you get Garuga, which sounds super legit and definitely what I would choose if I was in charge of making the movie. And also the sound that a cartoon cat makes when seeing an attractive woman. Garuga. (laughs) Garuga. Or if you just replace the gorilla instead of the whale, you can go whale and monkey and you can have wonky, which I just love so very, very much, but may not be the right tone for your big monster movie. Sounds related to Donkey Kong. (laughs) Wonky Kong, the 400 foot tall mechanical monster. And Mecha Wonky. <laughs> but actual Mecha Godzilla, though, he appears in several Godzilla films and actually has a few different origin stories because apparently the word canon in the Godzilla franchise only refers to things that harmlessly fire at giant monsters. So you have the original origin uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla over 1974 is consistent with the second movie, The Terror of Mecha Godzilla, a year after. In this case, Mechagodzilla was built by the evil aliens of Black Hole Planet 3. These aliens literally just have, like, gorilla masks, like, assumedly left over from the bad Planet of the Apes remake and painted it green. But they built Mechagodzilla. He got rebuilt by the same aliens for the second movie, a bit stronger. So just space-built robot is the original origin. Then, about 20 years later, you had Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 which, although it is called Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, is neither the sequel to the original nor the second movie, because the backstory is entirely different. This version of Mechagodzilla was constructed by, effectively, the UN by using parts of Mecha King Ghidorah from a previous Godzilla movie that was also in a different side universe. And then Mecha King Ghidorah was built in the future and sent back in time by modifying the corpse of King Ghidorah, who was defeated in a previous, previous movie. And so they took parts from that to invent the Mechagodzilla, So it's basically like a reused mecha of a different giant monster. And then he was built by just the Japanese in the next film, Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla, and the sequel, Godzilla Tokyo SOS. And so they built, so the Japanese built this Mecha Godzilla, but it's a little bit different. It's a little more cyborgy than Machini because it's built around the corpse of apparently the first Godzilla that died in the original Godzilla movie. And they built it around the bones and then it was released to fight a second Godzilla, which was problematic for Mecha Godzilla because apparently the roar of the second Godzilla reawakens the soul of the first Godzilla within the Mecha Godzilla and causes it to go berserk sometimes, which isn't great. This isn't convoluted at all. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> And then I love the plot of the second movie because it starts off, like, with, like, this moral quandary where, like, they have this Mecha Godzilla that, like, defeated Godzilla before. And they're like, hey, like, government, you should really put Godzilla's bones back in the ocean where they belong because they need to be in their resting place. And the government's like, well, yeah, but, like, what if Godzilla attacks? And then Godzilla (laughs) attacks. And it ends with both of them, it ends with Mechagodzilla and Godzilla defeating each other and falling back into the ocean by happenstance. So really, it just kind of resolves without a moral lesson. That was lucky for us. (laughs) (laughs) It works out for for everybody. And then what I didn't realize is that actually Mechagodzilla is also in the newest movie here, Godzilla vs. Kong. I didn't realize he was part of that movie because I haven't seen it, but he was. I saw it. It was a good movie. I liked it. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, he was... He was made by humans, same into Godzilla, and apparently this time piloted by a Neuralink. This time, they used the skull of the regular Ghidorah, not the Mecha Ghidorah, to base its neural transplant on, and it goes crazy because of old Ghidorah just being a dick and not from the Godzilla roar. So, slightly different origin here as well. So that's all the different forms, but basically, at the end of the day, they make a mechanical version of Godzilla. So kind of just going from there, just straight to his powers, he's got head, shoulder, knees, and toe missiles. Like, it depends on what iteration you have, but he shot missiles out of everywhere. <laughs> it, it, like, very slightly between versions, but it is shot out of literally head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Also, like, fingers sometimes. He's got missiles. He's got the mouth-breath laser beam in most iterations. It's, like, just, like, a big energy beam. In one of them, it's an absolute zero cannon, which is pretty cool. So it's either a big angry laser or a freeze laser coming from the mouth. He does have the power of flight in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. Mechagodzilla is able to fuse with the airship Garuda, which is basically like a fighter jet with two lasers on it. And it's able to fuse with Mechagodzilla because they built the airship to go fight Godzilla. And they're like, man, this thing's not cool enough. We also need a Mechagodzilla. But he can fly. And at Mach 5, no less, which is pretty handy. He's got lots of robot stuff. He's got his hands can be buzz saws. His tail can be a drill. Uh, he's got an electric wrist blade that he can deploy. 
He's made out of NT1 alloy armor, which is a sci-fi metal covered in a coat of artificial diamond. Probably the important bit is that it's able to absorb energy attacks and then use that energy to power its next ability, which is his most powerful attack, according to the lore, uh, his plasma grenade, which, while noted as his most powerful attack and sounds epic as all heck, is just another laser beam that he shoots out. And this one, like, <laughs> awkwardly shoots out of his stomach, like where C-3PO's circle is. He also has one, and it shoots out what they call a plasma grenade, which is a laser beam. It's not a grenade at all. Do not be confused. Plasma grenade. <laughs> I don't know if it's specifically plasma. I don't know if lasers are specifically lasers. There's also masers. They say he has laser beams and maser beams. I didn't bother to actually learn what the difference between those was because they all just look like laser beams. Is the difference just that an M is kind of close to an L on a keyboard? Like someone fat fingered something? I think what they're trying to do, I think that maser is actually a thing. It's like a laser, but like with more magnetic effects in it somewhere along the lines. See, the M is the is the next letter in the alphabet, so it's better. It advanced a letter. Yeah, it's slightly weaker than the Naser and the Laser. The Naser is very strong. <laughs> the Naser is even stronger than the Maser. <laughs> but yeah, that's Mechagodzilla. He's big. He's strong. He's got lasers and missiles and shit everywhere. And uh, he absorbs energy attacks and then releases that out of his tummy. Chris, who's your giant robot fighter? So my giant robot in my corner is Voltron. He stands at 328 feet, and I could not find a weight for him, but he's probably heavy. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to guess. If I Yeah, if I had to guess. Maybe a little lighter than Mechagodzilla, because he's also shorter. Isn't he mostly in space, in which case he weighs nothing? No, he, he does stuff on Earth. Okay. But yeah, Voltron has a bunch of different shows. The original show was in 1984. There is Voltron, the third dimension, which was in 1998, Voltron Force, which was in 2011, and then the latest one is Voltron Legendary Defender, which was in 2016. I think it went until, I think it ended in like pretty recently. I should have looked that up, but it, it was like a couple years ago, I think. And that's arguably the most successful of the four shows because it had the most episodes, 78 episodes. So I actually watched that show. I think the first two seasons, and then I fell off because they were, like, releasing them way too fast, and I couldn't keep up. <laughs> Damn you, producing too much content! Yeah, I know. Who knows, I might return to it later. It's a good show. But Voltron's origin, it kind of varies depending on which show you're you're looking at, kind of like Mechagodzilla. But um, the original show, the lore doesn't really make a lot of sense and has a lot of holes in it, and it's not consistent at all. The new show clears up a lot of things and establishes a more cohesive backstory, so I went with that. So, basically, Voltron is built from an ore that's from a comet from space, and this material, they say, is infused with quintessence, is what they call it. And quintessence has, like, healing and longevity effects, but it also has, like, a self-generating power source thing. So... It's basically like an endless power source for Ultron. Now, Ultron himself, he's made up of four robotic lions, and each of them are a different color. So there's red, green, blue, yellow, and black. And they all sort of align with like a different element, kind of like Avatar, sort of, but not really because they don't really have like the powers. But the red one is fire, the green one is forest, blue one is water, yellow one is land, and black one is sky. I don't really know why they specify that because it has like nothing to do with them, <laughs> but it's there. Now, the lions are actually controlled by people. They're called paladins. They're not actually controlled by them. So the lions themselves are actually sentient. They can um, move on their own and stuff and they make their own decisions. The relationship between the paladin and the lions is more of like a symbiotic connection. So the lions actually choose their paladins and the lions won't activate if the person is not worthy of like connecting with them and the paladins can actually swap between lions if they form a connection with other ones you basically just have to be like on the same wavelength as the lion you gotta you gotta vibe with that lion for it to turn on yeah now all five lions have some common abilities that they all share they have claws that can tear through like they're strong enough to tear through the armor of warships they all have mouth cannons which shoot energy beams they all have tail lasers, which can like shoot in any direction, just a laser thing. They all have jaw blades, 
which they say that they can toss like a boomerang. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Wait, what? I watched the show, but I don't remember them doing that. It's like like throwing a pair of razor dentures? I guess. <laughs> I, I love that it just reaches up, like pops his teeth out and chucks it. Like, And then it pops back in. <laughs> <laughs> they all have a force field, which is impassable when they're stationary. So like if someone tries to control them that is not worthy, they won't be able to pass that barrier. And then they all have thrusters, which allow them to fly. So all the lines can fly. Now, in addition to those common abilities, each color lion has their own unique abilities too. So the red lion has a heat ray, which can be shot from its mouth, and it can melt metal and stuff. It has a plasma cannon on its back, which it can unlock. Some abilities they like unlock if the paladin has like character development or something. <laughs> character level ups. If it, it, Once your paladin is level four. <laughs> yeah. And the red one can also withstand higher temperatures. The green one can unlock what's called a vine cannon, which I guess it shoots like this energy thing and whatever it hits makes vines grow and it like entangles them in vines. And it also has a cloaking device, which I think it didn't originally come with that, but the paladin that was piloting the green one built it. So now it has it. The blue one has a freeze ray, which is fired from its mouth. And... The blue one can unlock a sonic boom cannon from its back, which shoots like a high frequency sound wave, which can disorient enemies. It can also scan and map environments using this ultrasonic thing. And then the blue one also has increased mobility underwater. And the yellow one has the power of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow one unlocks what they call augmented lion armor which I guess just has larger claws and increased strength and speed. So I guess it's just better, like generally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the black one can unlock something called ephemeral blades, which it expands. It, it's like an expanded form of itself, and it boosts its powers and speed. And it can also, they say, phase through physical objects, which I don't exactly know what that means either. The black one also has wing thrusters, which can increase its speed. Now, those are the five lions on their own, but these five lions can form together and make Voltron, which is like a big giant robot. And then each of these lions is like a body part. So the red one is the right arm. The green one is the left arm. The blue one is the right leg. The yellow one is the left leg. And then the black one is the head and torso. Now, in the shows, there's like this really long sequence of them like connecting to each other. And it's like all extravagant and cool looking. I was a little concerned that this would be like a detriment to me in the fight if they take this long to actually get together. So I, I timed how long they actually take. It's about a minute for them, both in the old show and in the new show is like basically the same amount of time. It takes them a minute to combine. But when they do it, they fly into space. So I think they're good, probably. <laughs> if they fly away from the battlefield to combine, then they should be okay. Now, when the five lions combine... Voltran has basically has like his own abilities, which are pretty similar to the individual line abilities, but there are some more. So when he's Voltron, the black lion's wings can turn into a shield, which the green lion arm wields. And then they can still shoot the mouth cannons from what are now his hands. He still has the jaw blade. The individual lines can actually split off while Voltron is still formed. So they can like do their own things still sort of if it like his arm is off the green lion's head can detach and act as a distraction while voltron does something else <laughs> and the green line the decoy <laughs> <laughs> yeah the decoy and then additionally there are these things called bayards which each paladin wields it's basically like a human-sized weapon that they can use as a human but if they're in their lions they can use it as like a key to activate a certain ability of Voltron. So all five of them have a Bayard and it, it's person dependent. It's not Bayard dependent or like lion dependent. So the yellow paladin can activate a shoulder cannon. The red one can activate a sword. If the red and green one do it at the same time, they can activate a double sword. If the red and black one do it at the same time, they activate a blazing sword. And then... 
I think this isn't specific to a Bayard, but Voltron can also shoot lasers from his eyes and from his sword if he's in something, if he, if he's in a quintessence field. I don't know what that means, but it probably won't come into play because I feel like they're not going to be in a quintessence field. But yeah, those are Voltron's powers. He has a lot of different abilities when he's separated and when he's combined. And I think the fact that he can separate gives him a lot of like mobility and stuff and like it lets him flank you and stuff. So that is Voltron. Ben, who is your fighter? So I chose the Jaegers from Pacific Rim. Uh, if you're not familiar with Pacific Rim, it is a 2013 movie written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, where basically the idea is in 2013, a breach opened up at the bottom of the Mariana Trench and a kaiju appeared, big old monster, very, you know, Godzilla style, uh, that then went and, you know, basically wrecked San Francisco until we blew it up with three nukes. Kaiju kept showing up, so humanity responded in the only rational way, which is building giant robots to punch them to death. <laughs> I would like to point out, by the way, that if I were a world leader and I were in the situation, this is exactly what I would do. Not because I thought it would work, but just because it would be really, really cool. It was so hard to find an excuse to spend people's taxpayer dollars on giant robots in the, in the regular day-to-day -day of governing. I honestly wonder if you ran for president on a platform of, I am going to build us a giant robot, how many votes would you get? Uh, not many. Not many. <laughs> Thanks, political system, for at least stopping that. Here here in America, we're still fighting for, you know, crazy things like affordable health care. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, so these giant robots, these Jaegers is, is what they're referred to uh, as, they are uh, roughly 250 feet tall and around 2,000 ton sort of humanoid robots. They are controlled by people who are inside of them. They're controlling them by doing what's called drifting, which is basically like a Star Trek mind meld where they kind of connect their brains together and act as like one brain for the Jaeger. It's all kind of weird and they don't spend too much time explaining it because it doesn't really matter. You get the idea. There's two pilots and they control the Jaeger. How do they fight? Mostly by punching. Uh, sometimes other weapons they'll have, but generally it is mostly punching. This is why, as I'm going to get to, I'm going to use four of them because otherwise I have literally zero chance in this. Well, four times zero is zero, Ben. Sorry. Yeah, math is complicated <laughs> that way. In terms of like speed, it's never directly said how fast they are, but they do move with kind of a, a standard human uh, gait. And by sort of scaling that up to their size and just some estimates based on scenes where they're walking by buildings and things, they walk at roughly 90 miles per hour and can run at around 200. Uh, and they'll frequently also have kind of like jump jets on their back to either do like leaps or sometimes like boost their attacks. So like I said, I'm going to use a few of these. There are four kind of main ones shown in the movie. So we're going to go in the order they get destroyed in the movie. So first up, there is Crimson Typhoon, which is the Chinese Jaeger. Uh, it actually uses three pilots instead of two. They broke, like, their one rule. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. The idea is, apparently, that two of them control the basic movements and then one, one kind of controls, like, the weapon systems. That one is 250 feet tall, 1,722 tons. It has three arms, because why not? It looks cool. Its hands split open into, like, buzz saws, basically. And it has an IB-22 plasma caster, which is basically just like a plasma cannon. You, you kind of get the idea. It shoots a ball of plasma. <laughs> it's like a plasma grenade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But a cannon, not a grenade. Well, so is mine. <laughs> I know. And yes, it, it does get destroyed in the movie. It has its core, like, ripped out by a kaiju. It's very dramatic and everything. One cool thing also, I found a thing where Guillermo del Toro talked about where they sort of, they found different things to model the body language of the Jaegers on. And Crimson Typhoon was modeled on a combination of Floyd Mayweather Jr., who's a very good, like, defensive boxer, and traditional wushu, which is like a, a sort of um, an East Asian martial art that's kind of half performance, half martial art. Next up is Cherno Alpha, which is the Russian Jaeger. The oldest Jaeger still in active combat, 280 feet tall, 2,412 tons. It is slow and heavily armored. Weapons, really just big old punching fists. The weapon listed along with that is what is referred to as the roll of nickels, which is just like a cylinder of metal it can hold on to and make its fists heavier. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. 
it does also have Tesla fists. So its fists have Tesla cells in them and it can charge them up and then they'll arc between them. And it usually uses these by like punching both into both sides of a kaiju's head. So it just like charges his head with electricity. Oh, so he can he can be first to the fight because he can park in those um, electric robot spaces. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Also gets destroyed. It gets sprayed with acid, which like melts through its you know sort of armor and then ripped in half by two kaiju. So not acid proof. Should have figured. Thought about that one, guys. The inspiration for this one was the MS06 Zaku 2 from uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, which is I think like sort of one of the like enemy Gundams. Next there was Striker Eureka, which is the newest of the Jaegers. It's the Australian one. It's weapons. It has brass knuckles. Once again, like I said, a lot of punching. Wait, brass knuckles. What is it actually made out of, though? What is the robot made out of? Apparently, the brass knuckles are a brass steel compound that are cast around the joints of the fingers. Okay. Which, I don't know. They did that. It also has uh, sting blades, which are a pair of retractable, like, swords, basically, that are also laced with carbon nanotubes that can heat up to around 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Don't think that does literally anything when fighting robots. That's not very hot. <laughs> They're hot, but <laughs> robots can take hot? I don't know. 300 degrees Fahrenheit is, like, not hot. It's not hot. Against an organic thing, it's, it's pretty hot. Like, that's, you know. Yeah, it'll burn an organic thing, but, like, it won't melt my pan. <laughs> no, no, it will not. <laughs> uh, I, I think the big reason is that the kaiju do frequently have, like, acidic blood and stuff. And the idea is that it cauterizes the wound so it doesn't just, like, you know, get acid on them. That was the intent, but I don't know. It looks cool. I just like that they could pick any temperature. and They're like, oh, yeah, this goes all the way up to 300 <laughs> degrees. It did seem like, oh, man, you're, you're hitting me with, like, a, a low broiler, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh man don't come at me with a burger king grill like <laughs> if you attached an oven to the end of that arm it would be hotter yeah oh man your sword can almost maybe cook a frozen pizza like <laughs> striker eureka i will say does have the only actual like projectile i guess the plasma cans are short range projectiles the only long range weapon on any of these it has a six barreled anti-kaiju missile launcher which has 18 warheads it can fire out that it says can kill a kaiju with a direct hit. I'm a little confused by this statement because that first one that came up took three nukes to kill it. And these are definitely not like nuclear strength warheads. So I'm not going to say it's three nukes because it's definitely not three nukes, but they're at least reasonably substantial missiles. Can destroy a kaiju in one hit. Not pictured. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And this one, its body language was modeled after Lester Hayes, who was an Oakland Raiders cornerback, uh, a football player, if you don't know what that means. And finally, there is Gypsy Danger, who is the hero robot. It's the American one, of course, because go America. 260 feet tall, 1,980 tons. It has two plasma casters that are worse than the other one, but there are two of them, so sure. It also has swords. These are retractable GD6 chain swords which made from a steel obsidian alloy, which I don't think makes sense because obsidian is a stone, not a metal. <laughs> yeah, it's also not, like, particularly good. <laughs> right. And those can be either used as solid blades or whips, which, once again, I don't really know why you need to be a whip, but it looks cool, so run with it. And also, and this is probably the definitive, like, moment if you're explaining this movie to someone, it possesses a rocket in its right elbow, which you can use to punch really hard. <laughs> There was an article that calculated the force of the punch and said it would be roughly the same as being uh, hit by a 747 going 60 miles per hour, which is pretty hard. But 60 is not that fast. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that is the one thing that's sort of holding these back is that they tried to make them move in reasonable ways. Unlike, say, Mechagodzilla, who can fly despite being 150,000 tons. Yeah, but like, I'll say this, like, I can swing my elbow faster than 60 miles an hour. Well, no, okay. The fist moves faster than that. The force of it would be if something were hit by a 747 that was going 60 miles per hour. This is why force calculations stink. Because I know. Force it, is like, stupid. It shouldn't be worse to get hit by a plane going 60 miles an hour than a, like, a car going 60 miles an hour. But if you add mass and speed it, together, it, it's a bad analogy. It is. Who anyway. did that math stinks. It was, they were trying to make it... Seven, people, for them, people know that planes are big. They get the idea. All right. They picked their unit of 747 before they've calculated their speed. Oh, they 100% <laughs> did. And Gypsy Danger's body language was inspired by a UFC fighter, uh, Georges St. Pierre. So that's what I have. I have four robots that 
despite having four of them are i feel still far outclassed by both of what you guys are bringing to the table but hey they're here too well the fight's not over just yet <laughs> they're here to hang out and get a hot dog in central park and then get destroyed by mechagodzilla i mean we <laughs> we need to nerf you anyway you've won 14 times that is true yeah i'm gonna get one percent chance to win and stuff else to pull it off on the spinner it's gonna be great yeah before ben complains too much we offered him multiple multiple many opportunities to switch fighters yeah there just aren't that many comparable giant robots you just like pacific rim i do also really like pacific rim and i wanted to talk about pacific rim we also offered to scale up his robots to be the same size as our robots he also declined that offer yeah i did yeah this is a better way to do it it is i got four of them we'll figure it out all right let me pull up a a quick empty sheet here so i can take notes while we do this (laughs) so central park central park so i think we usually the way we start this is we try to decide who we think is going to fight first yeah so i guess chris would voltron be assembled at the start or would he be separate at the start i think he'd be separate at the start probably they usually start out separated and then if the fight isn't going the way they want then they form Okay, so, so do you think they'll start fighting separate before they form, or are they going to see what's going on and peace out immediately to try and transform? So they're going to try and fight as little robots. Yeah, I think they will, probably. That, I feel like that's usually, anytime you have a thing made up of other things, for dramatic purposes, they always start out fighting separately and then have to join to come together. Yeah. Does that just make it very likely, in the way that fight narratives go, that all you little robots fight before Mechagodzilla gets involved? I, I will say, and I hate to bring this up, but Jaegers are literally designed to fight kaiju, and Mechagodzilla is literally a kaiju. So it feels like that's a pretty... Yeah. The dynamic makes a lot of sense to me that, you know... I was going to say that. The dynamic there seems pretty obvious. Okay. Okay. No, that's legit. That's legit. Yeah, I'm definitely the apparent bad guy. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so you guys are probably not going to fight before fighting Mechagodzilla, so I'm just going to put that. I guess which one of you gets to me? Which one of you gets to me first? Do you know how fast Voltron, like the components, move? I mean, he's pretty fast. I, I assume he's faster than the Jaegers. I didn't find a speed, but like they fly. They fly, right? They're not just like running on big legs. Yeah, and they like do stuff in space and stuff. So right, so fast. Yeah, they're pretty fast. Okay. So we'll say that first contact is Voltron v. Mechagodzilla. All right. So Voltron versus, so I'm fighting the Voltron pieces at the moment. So I feel like we have similar weapons to each other. Yeah, we we ha- we do have similar less weapons. The thing I was worried about was like getting overwhelmed. Like, oh man, I'm big and awkward um, and not very nimble. But frankly, Mechagodzilla also does a lot of punching. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like... How big are his arms? They're, they're regular size arms. They can punch. I mean, you watched the 2021 movie especially. I know he did a bunch of... He, he would, like, use his jets and shit to accelerate and punch the thing. Because the thing is, a punch is a good way to not resolve a fight for someone to get a hit in without it being, like, meaningful. So all these kaiju and monster movies punch each other a lot. Also, if you go back far enough, it's a dude in a suit and special effects are expensive. So lots of punching there, too. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him now. He definitely, he does have normal size arm. I was, for some reason, I was picturing like a T-Rex arm Like thing. tiny T-Rex arms? Yeah. I love that mental image. <laughs> no, he's got like, they're not the biggest arms, but they are like full arms. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And which that also goes back to the fact that there was a dude in a suit and that dude had arms. <laughs> well, that could, dude could do the T-Rex arm thing. Well, I guess, but it'd be more comfortable with arms. He can't shrink his arms. Well, he could like... You could basically, okay, here's what you'd do, is you would have his his upper arms, like, down in by his chest, and then his forearms would be in the actual arms of the suit. <laughs> I'm doing that right now, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> so I guess I think, like, my plethora of missiles and things would be pretty effective against the, like, one-fifth size robots. Are your missiles homing? Yeah, they're homing. Okay. Some of them are, I mean, half the time they're homing, half the time they're not. Right, Half yeah. the time they're, like, a bunch of missiles, and they come out of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like a battleship salvo, almost. I don't think the separator robots have much opportunity to win against Mechagodzilla. I just don't, I guess, what would be the, the effective attack they could do? I mean, it's hard to judge how powerful, like, an energy blast is against a space metal in either direction <laughs> yes of course <laughs> i mean they're definitely stronger as voltron or else they wouldn't have to they wouldn't form once they're 
doing poorly in the fight. I do think Mega Godzilla is stronger than them when they are separate. What happens if I smush one of your parts? <laughs> <laughs> if I like just take out your right leg robot? If I take out the was the yellow one? I mean, he, they can still fly. So like, I think Voltron will still be fine. He just won't have a leg. Right. So maybe that's maybe like you would take out one of my body parts or something before I was able to turn into Voltron. I think the way that we resolve this with our system here is that it's like the first like. 40% I think goes to Mechagodzilla by just either they wait too long to try and form Voltron or I can like cripple one or two body parts you know if, if I can get enough damage pre-transformation and then let's jump a little ahead a little bit to the Voltron versus Mechagodzilla because that's a little bit more of a an even fight yeah it's more of like a straight up one-on-one yeah so I think you're bigger than me you probably have more weapons on you but I still have a lot of weapons on me, and I have, like, a sword and stuff, so I, I feel like I'm better at close quarters. I have a sword and I have a shield, too. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty tight. I think my advantage against, like, some of the bullshit is, like, the absorbing energy attacks with the armor. I'm not sure what specific types or what those be. You also have a lot of, like, non-energy attacks, and I wouldn't say I can absorb, like, a sword hit, like, a laser sword hit. Right. So I think if it came down to a sword fight or like a close quarters combat situation, then I could beat you. Yeah, that feels like more, that feels more like 50-50. Like now it's just actual like, okay, two giant robots are fighting against each other. All our all our little abilities do nothing. Like I think I have a better chance of beating you close quarters than you of me. Yeah, I feel like sword versus punches. It's like a person trying to punch a guy with a sword. <laughs> Yeah. I do still have big lasers. I guess, yeah, if it were, like, actually just straight hand-to-hand. I mean, maybe. I have big lasers, too. I guess you can absorb them, but... <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's hard to tell, like, how resistant my metal is to your laser. <laughs> yeah, we have, to, we have to assume that we can damage each other. We have to assume that the weapons outweigh the armor in general. Because, like, people that are things that are fighting Mechagodzilla, he doesn't absorb every single thing, does he? So, Mechagodzilla was designed to absorb, like, Godzilla's atomic breath ray attack. That's why he has that special armor. Mm-hmm. Was specifically to absorb, like, that big laser beam. So, if it's, like, a heat ray or a freeze ray instead, would that be able to... Yeah, I, I would say that, yeah. If it's not exactly if it's not exactly an energy ray... Okay. It'll be a f- more effective. Yeah, so I do have projectiles that aren't specifically an en- energy ray. I do have a bunch of energy rays, too, but... I would say probably mainly the heat ray and freeze ray. I will also say Godzilla's breath. I just Googled this. It's basically like white hot radioactive fire. So it's not necessarily an energy weapon. Okay. I guess it doesn't really change it because you have energy and fire. Right. Yeah. It's it's still basically the same. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you say that it's fire instead of energy, then I still have energy. How does Mechagodzilla do in water? He's okay in water. He has um, jets that let him swim around. Because Godzilla emerges from the ocean. He's fought in the ocean before. I don't know exactly under what circumstances. But I know his jets let him move around underwater. Does he have, like, a power source? Is he, like, powered by anything? Or do they just not explain it? Uh, I think they just don't explain it. What powers Mechagodzilla? Maybe they tell us. Uh, Powered by a nuclear reactor. Driving energy from heavy hydrogen and helium-3 in pellet form. Okay. I don't know if that's relevant. It's probably not relevant. Yeah, so I'm not like I'm not like anything that you can like specifically like it's just like an internal battery with my nuclear reactor. It's not like a big energy backpack or I'm solar powered or, or something along those lines. I mean if I could somehow target that energy core then I could deactivate you somehow. Like it's probably not like on your back or anything, but like if I could target it then that would be good. Oh no, it's definitely you can definitely beat me also just like by, you know, cutting off arms and he is sometimes defeated by his head getting cut off. I love that, like, in one pair of movies, I forget which one it is, Godzilla wins the first one by ripping off his head. And then in the second movie, when they redesigned Mechagodzilla, they put, like, a little secondary brain, like, below the neckline. <laughs> so that when they ripped off the head, he still had a brain. Aha, didn't expect this, did you? <laughs> My tiny second head. It was, it was a plot point. <laughs> okay, so... I think we're saying that you have a better chance if it's long distance, and I have a better chance if it's close quarters. Yeah, and then there's some percentage for, like, pre-assembly. 
So it gets complicated for you <laughs> to do calcs. I'm just going to take them in the in a combination, like combined those two things, like is probably like 70-30, 65-35, somewhere in that range. I'll say 70-30 is fine. That seems fair, yeah. I mean, like you have an advantage when they're separate, but I think once you destroy one lion, then they'll form. So it's not like the fight is over. Right, right, right. I mean, I'd, I'd have an advantage. I think I'd be advantage if you didn't have your full on suit, but I think I could hit one, it not be taken out of the fight. And you're like, okay, time to form up. I can see this is a, you know, this thing is clearly five times bigger than us. <laughs> yeah. So like you having an advantage before we form isn't the fight being over. Yeah. It's just moving to the next stage and I'm a little disadvantaged. Yeah. All right. So then if assuming we jump one step down the, the narrative here, Mechagodzilla has defeated voltron voltron is a scrap heap all the missiles and things have exploded and the people of manhattan are terrified now the jaegers are up versus mecha godzilla oh man so like how susceptible would you say that mecha godzilla is to punching <laughs> <laughs> um he does get punched by godzilla a bunch like i said i don't think it's crazy that either mecha godzilla is a little bit worn down or like you can't wear away at his like extremities like you know you punch in his rocket launcher you like kick in a kneecap somewhere and you get a couple of lucky shots in with the uh the the missile cannons off of uh striker eureka yeah like a coordinated assault and like a buildup of damage could i think wear down mechagodzilla over time i don't think it's the most likely scenario right no beyond like i think if i punch a jaeger it's, it's pretty it's, done it stays punched yeah <laughs> do you think a jaeger would be able to rip mechagodzilla's head off Two of them do have swords. That is a weakness of his. We're all we're all rooting for the Jaegers at the moment. That, I know. <laughs> that is kind of my really my plan. Also, wait, is Mechagodzilla susceptible to electricity or not particularly? I would guess not. Or unknown. Uh I think he's been he must have been He must have gotten shocked at some point, right? Like <laughs> definitely threw him into power lines or something. Like if I had to guess, I would say no. Is it <laughs> Autocomplete is Mega Godzilla weak to electric Pokemon. <laughs> the people want to know: Would Pikachu beat Mega Godzilla? That would probably answer our question. The high sea era of Mega Godzilla was critically damaged by a wave of electrical feedback from Godzilla. Okay, so yes. So basically, what my thought is: the Jaeger plan of attack then has to be because, like, Mega Godzilla has you know a hundred feet on them; they can't really get to the head easily as is. So cut out the let not literally cut off the legs but like get mechagodzilla to the ground somehow and either gypsy danger or striker eureka get the head with swords or cherno alpha could use the tesla fist like on the head i'm sure that would in some way mess up mechagodzilla that's my game plan i think the question is just can they get mechagodzilla down right can they get to the head right Oh, if I fly up. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you fly up, this is done. It's like, it's basically just, you know, there are some missiles that they can launch, but you have a lot more missiles. <laughs> I do have a lot more missiles. Uh, ooh. Um, I was leading towards like seven. I was, le I, I was only up to 70-30 for you, Ben. I feel like the problem that the Jaegers have is that if Mechagodzilla can engage first from a distance, the missiles are a very real problem. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say 80-20. I think in the situation, right, where they can sort of, like, be kind of lurking when Voltron is defeated, yeah, 80-20 feels about right. They can get in and, you know, maybe get him down and take him out by going at the head. All right, so let's let's say it goes the other way, and that Voltron has now defeated Mechagodzilla. The crazy red-green space sword is in the middle of Mechagodzilla's chest, or the head is cut off, honestly. And now Voltron turns back its attention to the Jaegers. Oh, so this is after I fought Mechagodzilla, so it'd already be Voltron. Right. Do we think that any of the lions have been destroyed? Maybe. I mean, it depends on... Like what happened in the lead up to like Voltron forming and... Yeah, like when I formed Voltron. Because my, my problem I really see is that Voltron has more better robots than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're smaller than yours, but they can fly and they have... They are smaller. That is true. They're significantly smaller, though. Like, your... I guess that's true, yeah. ...separate robots are probably, like, 150 feet tall. Yeah, I don't know how they are, how tall they are separately. So Voltron overall is... How, how tall is Voltron again, overall? 
He is 328. So so the legs are are what? Like Well, so like the wingspan is 328. Oh, the wingspan is 328. I mean, that's the same as the height. Oh yeah, I guess so, yeah. So yeah, it's like 100, 150 foot tall robots. So so the Jaegers are bigger, but probably slower, can't fly and with no range weaponry. <laughs> And there's less of them. <laughs> and there's less of them. <laughs> the Jaegers are what, 280? Is that what they're Yeah, 250 was? to 280. I mean, like, the height difference is kind of similar to Voltron versus Mechagodzilla in the small parts of Voltron to the Jaegers. How many, how many Voltron pieces do you think you could beat? <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, right? Because the problem I see is that I think if Voltron stays formed, they have a better chance than a Voltron separates or is separate. Yeah, I think that is actually true. Because if Voltron is separate, they're going to be able to just kind of like fly around and harass and... One-on-one, -on -one, each line would beat your Jaegers. Right. And one of them is fighting two lions, so... So it's really like the plan here is basically once again just get there after Mechagodzilla has been slain and like once again just sort of, you know, probably losing a couple in the process, get it down and get a kill shot somehow with either one of the actual like heavier weapons because the punching probably isn't going to really do it which seems tough because it also has to happen fast enough that voltron doesn't just split right because i can fly as well right and also yeah voltron can just fly away and then yeah so it's basically what are the chances of a alpha strike while voltron is relishing its victory over mechagodzilla but also, like, what if after the fight, there's only two Voltron bits left? Or that, yeah, right. That Voltron, it was like a Pyrrhic victory, and there's two Voltron chunks remaining. How many lions do you think one Jaeger could take? Or How many Jaegers could... I think, I think how that... Many, yeah, how many Jaegers could one lion take? I think that two Jaegers could beat a lion. Okay. Right. I feel like that's what it takes, though, is, is that you need to be able to, like, tactic it, right? Like... If you just do it in like a straight fight, a lion has a huge advantage just because of the nature of his weaponry. Who's got the better tactics? Who has the bigger power of friendship? I feel like I have a stronger bond than you guys. I mean, the pilots of a Jaeger are, well, I guess the pilots of a Jaeger are literally mind melted, but they don't necessarily like, they're not mind melted like all, you know, all of the pilots. Isn't it one like Chinese though? And like one like the American one? Yeah, but there's bigger things at risk here. They're all working together. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> famous international cooperation in the face of global problems yeah come on all right well, give me give me guys your, give me guys give me your gut percentages guys my gut is that there's a worse chance to beat voltron than mechagodzilla and so i would probably say like 85 15 at best i guess so what's the chance there's only like two voltron bits remaining right i guess that's part of it i think only two is pretty low yeah because i would say that's like even odds then all right, then that is what it is there. Yeah. I, I just think that the flight and speed and weaponry is just going to be too much. Okay, so now we've talked about all the matchups here. So let me, let's me let see if anything comes different. So if it starts off as Mechagodzilla versus the Jaegers, probably still about 80-20. I mean, the same stuff can still happen. Maybe you get some support from Voltron. So the problem is if that starts out, then there's like a missile barrage at the start from Mechagodzilla. Yeah, you can't really close the, the distance. <laughs> yeah, I think this scenario is the one where Chris, where Voltron's like immediately pieces out to space to transform. Right, exactly. Then he's already formed, yeah. So I have a better chance in this situation, but Ben doesn't. Yeah. I sure do not. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna up it to like... 90-10? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> let's, do, let's do it right. Yep. Let's be honest here, guys. Let's be honest here. So then... Um... And then for me, maybe like 60-40? Mechagodzilla, Voltron. Yeah. And then if... Oh, this is interesting. The scenario that we're talking about now is the less likely scenario. Jaegers and Voltron fight first? Yeah. Ye no, Jaeger is able to kill Mechagodzilla. Oh, right. <laughs> they get a good tactics head decapitating in. And now Voltron descends from space and there's just four Jaegers waiting. I don't think all four Jaegers would be left. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. So like maybe two Jaegers. Oh, man. This is like a clean sweep. This is like... 95 5 <laughs> yeah <laughs> like at best i'm the pretty clear winner here yeah all right so if all the little robots start fighting at first i think this is also very heavily weighted towards voltron <laughs> 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 this is another at least 90 10 
I mean, that's just a situation that we said before where... Voltron is unformed and... Yeah, one lion beats one Jaeger and I have more. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Mechagodzilla is like, if I'm fighting the remnants of all the little robots fighting... Then you definitely win. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna... I'm gonna just put it like 90... I'll put 95 on Ben. I'll give you like 10%, Chris, on the assumption that like, hey, um, words... (laughs) A cu- the Jaegers may manage to take out like a couple lions and then Mechagodzilla can just alpha strike. Yeah. I will say a slight change the way we normally, I think, do the final math. I think that it's less likely that Voltron and the Jaegers fight first. Oh, I, I have that factored in. You do? Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. I have it. I have it set up that the most likely scenario of Voltron and Mechagodzilla squaring up first is 50% of the time. 30% the Jaegers get there first against Mechagodzilla, and 20% of the time the little robots fight. Cool. That makes sense, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so actually I was able to use my spreadsheet from last week because I didn't delete it. So I already have the numbers, and they do add up to 100%, which is excellent. Nice. <laughs> actually saving your spreadsheet. How little do the Jaegers have? I'm going to guess 6%. No, no, way better than that. Way better. I think it'll be like 13%. Wow, your guys are both equally wrong. It is 9.5%. <laughs> you guys are actually both 3.5 away. That's incredible. Voltron has a 33.5% chance here. And Mechagodzilla has a solid lead of a 57% chance of taking this one. And uh, Chris, have you have you prepared the wheel? I have the wheel ready. Like last time, we are going to have the wheel on our video version. If you want to see that, go to our YouTube channel. But we're going to spin it. And I'm going to share my screen first. So we can react. Oh, look at that little sliver of Jaeger right there. Little little sliver of Jaeger over there. <laughs> the wheel is set up. All right. I'm ready. Okay. We have Mechagodzilla, giant slice. Voltron, normal slice. And little bitty tiny Jaeger little slice. Little bitty Jaeger. Little slice of Jaeger. Here we go. I'm going to spin it. Here we go, 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 here we go. Please come up Jaeger somehow. Please don't be Jaeger. Oh my god. It was going there. It was close. It was actually like 10 degrees off Jaeger, not that far. But no, it landed in the big, big Mecha Godzilla slice. So here's how this goes. I think I like the scenario. So we show up, all the robots descend. Mecha Godzilla lays out a big old kaiju menacing roar that's just slightly robotic because he is a robot voltron's like audi peace (laughs) goes up to space we're gonna need to deal with this jaegers being the noble-hearted buffoons that they are charge right at mechagodzilla i think expecting him to be a bit bulky and slow and like the first jaeger like just tries to like jump up and start climbing towards the head and just as he jumps mechagodzilla just like fists him into the ground just boom donezo like in that same motion, like, the back missiles open up, start firing, just obliterating the remaining Jaegers. And then, glint up on the sun, shiny metal, like, Voltron comes down in all its glory, strikes a menacing pose, pulls out its big energy sword. And I don't think it's very complicated. I think Mechagodzilla just, like, takes a step back, opens its mouth, charges up, and there's just that huge, giant red laser. And it just, like, just blows right through the center, just obliterates Voltron like melted torso with nothing else left and then the two little legs run away (laughs) they detach and run away (laughs) and that is the definitive answer about how a fight between four Jaegers Voltron and Mechagodzilla would end but we're not done yet folks because we still got our would you rather question for the day Ben hmm Normally ask the winner, but since I won, you can't ask me. So, Ben, would you rather write greeting cards or obituaries for a living? Oh, I feel like this is an obvious one. Which one do you think is obvious? I was going to say greeting cards. Oh, I was going to say obituaries. So here we go. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So my rationale is that writing greeting cards is basically just coming up with sappy bullshit right like that's kind of it i mean you can there are different types of greeting cards there's like the dirty humor greeting cards and like they're different types 
So my rationale is that Ryan obituaries means basically researching people's lives, which is pretty cool, right? Like the idea that you just have to go like learn about a person and then write down all the cool stuff they did. But you have to always write positive stuff, even if they're a terrible person. Well, there's not many greeting cards that say negative things either. You know, there's very few happy birthday, you piece of crap <laughs> cards out there. Yeah, I know. But I, I'm not like researching someone that I don't like and then lying about it. Well, yeah. Oh, you're worried. You're, you're worried. You're, there's so many people you dislike that you're going to have to write a lot of obituaries for your enemies. <laughs> I don't know. What if you write the obituary for like some like dictator or something? <laughs> I feel like that's the rare case. Right. That you have to write an obituary for someone who you're like, oh, man, this person stinks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like generally it's just kind of more like regular people. And that's kind of cool. Is it weird? Like the thing I was worried about obituaries was that it's a bit depressing. Like, you know, it's not the funnest. My first instinct is that greeting cards are more fun. Like, if I'm going to lead a happy life that, hey, I'm a greeting cards writer. I write all these fun little cards. But I don't think you can write a greeting card without, like, really, really tempering the jokes that you're making. Like, you're, it's all held back. Like, you would have all these great ideas for greeting cards that will never get made into greeting cards. The question is, say, you're doing this for a living, right? Yeah. And I assume that we're just saying you're good at it, whatever you choose. You're good, but you're conf- I think you conform to it. Like, you're writing the Hallmark cards. But you're not going to, like, struggle to survive. No, no, Let's say these pay similarly. You're financially stable. Let's not make that part of the hypothetical. So if that's the case, is your argument that you have all these greeting cards that aren't going to get made and you're sad about that because you want to get your, your word out there or what? I think I'd be upset that it's almost a creative outlet where you could do some cool stuff and maybe some you like a little better than others but i feel like i don't know maybe i just have a bad opinion of greeting cards but i feel like an actual funny joke or like an actual good thing just doesn't make it into a greeting card because it's not like generic enough see i feel like this would be my living but it wouldn't be my creative outlet my creative outlet would be something else and since greeting cards are pretty short it would be like i could spend not that much time on the greeting cards and then have more time to do other stuff that is more creatively fulfilling i don't know if you have like less work hours doing greeting cards than obituaries yeah i guess we can yeah we can say the same work hours because you also have to also you have to do the art oh you have to do the art you said write, or you have to do the layout or you know images and stuff like it takes a bit to lay out the card i'm sure are you designing it or are you just writing it i don't think i don't think Writing the actual, just the words is a job. <laughs> Why not? That's what the obituary is. You're not like putting the pictures and like, I don't know. Put it this way. I can't imagine hiring someone who's only good at the words of a greeting card and not. <laughs> a company putting together, together a greeting card, I don't think it's the same person writing it as doing the the visual stuff. Those are two different people. I don't think they're two. I don't think it's two different people. There might be a team, but like, I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's someone that's just such a good greeting card writer that they only do the words and everything else is delegated. I'm basing all my information on Mr. Deeds, so. (laughs) (laughs) As we do for all our facts on this podcast. (laughs) Is writing obituaries a more respectable job? You're at a party. What do you do for a living? I write obituaries. I write greeting cards. I feel like you can play off writing obituaries as more like, I think it's respectable. I think it's like, oh, yeah, someone's got to do it. It's an important thing. But I think people would think that the greeting card job is a cool, fun job. Maybe less respectable, but it would be a cool, fun thing to say at a party. I think you'd get a lot more dumb follow-up questions if you write greeting cards than if you write obituaries. (laughs) I feel like you don't really get any follow-up questions if you write obituaries. That's also probably true. (laughs) I don't know. I'd be interested. I'd pick someone's brain if they did. It's like, how did, like, one, how did you end up doing that? (laughs) How did did your life take you that way? All right. I I think I have my choice. And I think it's just kind of more of a gut feeling than a a full reasoned out answer. But Chris, it sounds like you've made up your mind. Yes, I'm going greeting card because of all of the reasons I already said. And I am going obituary because of all the reasons I already said. Haha, Marcus, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go obituaries. Because I chose greeting card. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, because I hate Chris and I just murdered his robot today. But no, I, I don't know. It seems to me like it would be, it feels a more noble pursuit to me. I don't know. I feel It feels more fulfilling to me than greeting cards. You always used to go with like the party story or whatever. 
I think the obituary is more a party story than the greeting cards. I don't, I'm not excited at all about greeting cards. So they're soulless to me. And man, I'm sorry if you're, I'm sorry if you're a person who writes greeting cards. I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into it that I don't know about. And there are lots of good greeting cards out there that I have not seen. My experience of greeting cards is like just the ones in like your local CVS and like the five that I perused before settling for one. But still, I don't know. I'm going obituaries. That's my personal choice. There's less pressure on you because I feel like a lot of people that buy greetings cards or like that receive greetings cards don't actually read the greeting. So like you don't have to be good at it. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to read that obituary. But I want to be good at what I do. Like you might screw up the obituary and make them mad. Well, if you don't stop trying to convince me, someone's going to have to write an obituary about you, Chris. So there it is. Shots fired. Missiles fired. Laser beams fired. Plasma grenade fired. (laughs) And if I keep on trying to convince you, they'll send me a greeting card. We don't have time for you to convince me of anything, because now it's my turn to convince the listener right now to do stuff for us for free. Well, for us for free. For them for money. (laughs) (laughs) Go (laughs) to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals. That's our Patreon page. That's where you can support us with your money. It is even cheaper than some greeting cards in that it is just $1 per month gives you access to all our additional Patreon-only content that we release each month. So if you want to hear more of our dulcet tones, I guess, you can find us there. If you want to be part of the show, send us questions. Send us would-you-rathers. Our question list is growing thinner and harder to come up after a hundred and Jesus number of episodes. Oh, a hundred and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> 100 and G's number of episodes later, we'd love to hear your listener questions. So send those. Probably the best way is via email, either through our Patreon page or via email, absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com. Real easy to remember. But with that, that's all I'm going to ask you guys to do for now. Until next week, when we answer the following question. What if all animals moved at the same speed? (laughs) 